a message with the Beatles. Tough to beat right there. So prophetic of them. How'd they know? We're talking about the sun today. Here comes the sun, right? So um, in case you were not with us last week, we kicked off what is going to be a three-week series. So we're in the middle week here, week number two of a series on the Trinity. So last week was the Father. This week we talk about the Son, and next week will be the Spirit. And I am Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and it is going to be a joy to spend the next few uh, moments here together. So what we learned last week, Pastor Gary, he had a, a great message again on the Father. But what we learned is the fact that, this, uh, that God exists three in one. And some great things come in threes. If, if you're into sports, Russell Wilson's number is a three, right? Doesn't get better than that. Field goals come in threes. If, if you're into music, some of the best three-member bands, Nirvana, Green Day, Destiny's Child, um, nursery rhymes. Maybe you're a nursery rhyme buff. The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, right? Like, they just, everything comes in threes. I don't know what it is. But there are some great illustrations and analogies and metaphors out there that try to help us kind of get our minds wrapped around a little bit how this can be, that God exists three in one and one in three. And so I want to pitch to you my favorite. I want to pitch to you my favorite illustration. So I asked my friend Dom, our worship pastor here, Pastor Dom, to help me out with this. And this man is extremely talented, not just vocally or with the guitar, but especially on the piano. So that's what, that's what we're about to do here. So I asked Dom to pick three notes, to make, pick three notes, one as the Father, one as the Son, one as the Spirit, can we please hear the Father? The Father. Guys, I told you this man's talented. Talented. <laughs> nice. Let's hear it again. Father. Nice. As good as it was the first time. All right. Second, the sun. How about the sun now? Ooh, a little higher. A little higher. Not as, not as mature as the Father. A little higher. A little higher. Again, the, the sun. How about the Father again? How about the sun? Okay. Now the Spirit. Let's bring the Spirit in. Ooh, some of you grabbed your flags and started waving them, didn't you? All right, nice. So spirit again, spirit, father, son, spirit, 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 son. I think you got it. I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Now check this out. Check this out. In all his glory, Dom, please play all three at once for us. Very good. How about one more time? One more time. Guys, check it out. Let's give it up for Dom, the worship pastor. Very nice. Very nice. And a bow you shall take. All right, so three notes in one, making a chord, kind of helping us understand it a little bit at least. And the reason I like this illustration is because there's actually another layer to it. The other way to think about this same uh, illustration that we just saw is that the keys, those can represent the Father. The sound that we all witnessed, that we heard, is the Son. And then the waves that were vibrating through the air, kind of pulsating through this room that made that sound possible is the Spirit. And so kind of cool to begin to think of just the different roles, the different persons of the Trinity. If this is your first time at church or here at Overlake, you could not have come on a better week. You could not have come on a better week. Because we were talking about the Son, and you may have heard his name before, but it's Jesus and there, whoo, we have one person that loves Jesus in here. Come on, or two. I do too. All right. Uh, there's no one else we make a bigger deal about. There's no one else that we hold in a, hold in a higher regard. There's no one else we sing about more, as, as you probably just witnessed this morning. And it's Jesus. And so as we kind of pick up where we left off last week to discover who Jesus is, this person in the Trinity, 
I want to begin with this phrase. And if you love taking notes or getting right answers in the blanks, I'm about to give it to you. And it's this, that Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. I'm uh, going to read a verse here out of the Gospel of John. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. John 17, 25, and 26. Those are the words of Christ the evening prior to his death, the crucifixion on a cross. This is a part of Jesus' prayer that he's praying here. And he's letting it be known that he has revealed the Father to his followers. There's two primary ways that Jesus reveals the Father, and this is why it's so fun to study the person of Jesus, because as you get to know who Jesus is, you get to see who the Father is. You get a glimpse into who God is in heaven. And one of the primary ways, and again, something worth maybe jotting down, is he does this through his words. One of the ways that we see who the Father is, who God is, is by looking at the things Jesus said through his words, through his teachings, his messages, his sermons. Anything written in red, if you have one of the Bibles that have things written in red, those are words of Christ. Those are worth paying attention to because they give us a glimpse into who God is. Last summer, we spent the whole summer here at Overlake looking and unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, the longest teaching we have of Christ. And at the end of that is this verse in Matthew. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. That real authority is a little something I like to call being the son of God. (laughs) Every time he spoke, he was bringing it because everything he said was being spoken by God. It was revealing who God is. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what we discovered last summer. It's not about rules and laws and regulations. Jesus reveals that the Father's heart is about relationship and restoration and right living. It's about connection. It's about relationship, restoration, healing, freedom. It's about loving God, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. That's what Jesus reveals in his teachings. And that's why we spend so much time here discovering what his teachings are. The second thing, second way Jesus reveals the Father to us is not just through his words, but through his actions, through the things that he did, everything that he did, we pay attention to. We kind of put under microscope to get a better understanding as to not just who this man is, but how it's revealing to us who God is. Let me read this verse, John chapter 5. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only. It's worth circling the word only. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything. So circle everything. Shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Everything Jesus did was in concert, was, it was in harmony with God, his Father. Everything he did. And in this moment, Jesus had just healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. That's seven years longer than I've been alive. This man is unable to walk, constricted to a mat. 
Jesus heals this man. He's now up. He's moving around. This man's experiencing a joy and a freedom that he hadn't known for 38 years. And the religious community, kind of the really staunch religious like practitioners of the day and teachers of the day, convict Jesus of doing work on the Sabbath, on the holy day. Here he is. He just healed a man, and he's in trouble for it. I don't even understand that. And what I love is that Jesus kind of comes back with a little bit of, oh, oh, you think this was amazing? You just wait. There's greater works to be done, my friends. There's greater works coming. And I bet in the back of his mind he's thinking, these boys are going to be tripping when I come out of a grave three days after a public execution. There's greater things to be done. And Jesus only ever did what the Father was doing, and the Father showed him everything he was up to. That gives us an idea of this dynamic of the Trinity. Right now, my wife and I are in the uh, kind of whirlwind of raising a small little baby, a little six-week-old Sailor James. We love him to death. He's the best. And so we love just kind of looking at him, staring at him, feeding him. I don't love burping him so much, like, but, uh, but that's cool. You know, diaper changes, outfit changes are totally a thing. Like, uh, we just love changing his outfit all the time, apparently. Uh, but what we love doing, some of our, our biggest conversations right now, is just trying to picture and imagine who's this little boy going to be like? You know, who's he going to be like? Who's he going to look like? Is he going to look like his dad or is he going to look like his mom? And right now, mom is pulling ahead. She's making sure she's kind of like leading this charge right now. She's like totally, totally swinging it with the twinning thing, making sure that they, they're dressed to match. They always look alike. But then we also can't wait to see what his personality is like. What's his, what's his little character kind of going to be like? Is it going to remind people of something his, his dad would do or mom would do? Is he going to be just totally his own person? But I guarantee you at some point, Sailor is going to say something or do something, and it is going to scream the fact this child's parents are Pat and Leah Swanson. No question. What he just said, what he just did is exactly what Pat or Leah Swanton would do. Everything Jesus did, everything he said screams the fact he is the son of God. Everything. It's as if the, the, the great theologian Stephen Colbert says, <laughs> if it walks like the son of God and quacks like the son of God, it's the son of God. Jesus didn't stroll around saying, hey, if God was a man, he'd look and act an awfully lot like me. He never said that. Jesus did go around saying, hey, God is a man. The Christ has come. The Messiah is here. And it's me. That's Jesus, by the way. Not me. Not, not Pat, but Jesus. Jesus is God in a bod. That's one of the phrases that we kind of use here at Overlake to get us a glimpse as to who this man is, why he's so important. These six words in John 10 are extremely important in, in kind of camping out on, discovering, because these are powerful words for Jesus to use and declare. Six words right here out of John 10. The Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. Remember that religious kind of community I brought up earlier that was, you know, kind of like dogging uh, uh, Jesus for, for raising that man who was lame of 38 years? It says after Jesus spoke these words, they started to grab rocks 
They started to grab stones, and right then and there, they were prepared to execute this man. What blows my mind is to think these very people who now hold rocks in their hands, prepared to hurl at Jesus, do so because they are so concerned with fulfilling the law. And yet here they are, a stone's throw away from pummeling the man who was sent to fulfill the law because no one else can. Because no one else can. Jesus was completely perfect, utterly perfect, and again reveals who the Father is. The Father's after relationship, restoration, healing, not religion, law, and regulations. Again, he is God in a bod. And that leads us to really this next point worth writing down as well. That Jesus is your friend. Jesus is your friend. If you're like me, when you get the notes and you kind of check them out, I always try to picture, I try to always guess like, oh, I bet this is the feeling here. I bet this is the one here. You know, I kind of get it all dialed. I wouldn't be surprised if people in here were thinking like, oh, Jesus is your healer, redeemer, savior. You know, something with a little more theological depth than friend. But here's the sad thing. I think friend has been so watered down, especially in our culture. You probably have an attitude like, I got 2,000 friends online. I don't need one more, you know? It's been so watered down. And yet this reality that Jesus is our friend is completely profound. I spent some time just kind of thinking, just kind of dwelling, just on this fact of what is a friend. And I guess that's probably an incorrect way of even saying it. Uh, Who is a friend? What does a friend embody? And here's, here's some just thoughts from Pat on what a friend is, who a friend is. A friend is someone who knows you, who loves you. They serve you in times of need. It's someone who laughs at your jokes, even the bad ones. A friend tells you the truth even when it hurts. A friend never bails on you when things get tough. They desire to be by your side in the good, the bad, and the ugly in life. A friend is someone you don't need to wear makeup for or make sure that you're looking your best when they're around. It's someone you can trust with your hopes and your dreams as well as the things that you're ashamed of. In their presence, you experience joy, adventure, peace. These are at the center of your best memories, and they're at the center of your best decisions. A friend has your back, even when you haven't been the best of a friend to them. For Jesus to call us friends is profound. And that's what he does when he says this in John 15, again, in the context of this being the night before his death. He's prepared to be betrayed, given over, beaten, pummeled, and pegged to a cross. Here's what Jesus says in the 15th chapter of John. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In less than 24 hours, Jesus' body will be in a tomb rendered completely unrecognizable because of the torture he just had gone through. He didn't just say these words, he backed them up with his life and with his death. And he did it. He did it with the posture of doing it for friends. This is incredible. He doesn't do it in this idea or this posture of superhero, trying to maintain a distance like he's too important 
to be known, too important to spend time with, too important to be associated with the likes of us. He does it as a friend. He does it out of knowing us, loving us. That's profound. I can remember coming home in kindergarten. The first time, this is the earliest memory I have of telling my mom that I have a friend. And I'm sure if you're a parent of a kid that's been in elementary or preschool or older than that, that you've had an experience too where you have had your kid come home and tell you that they have a new friend. That was me. I was just so excited. Come home, tell my mom I have a new friend. And half the time, I probably couldn't remember my friend's names. You know, that didn't even matter. Names, who needs those? Like, let me tell you about my friend. Like, they're so great. Well, this kid's name, I can remember his name still to this day. It's Gavin. Gavin was my new friend. And here's what blew my mind about Gavin. Here's what made Gavin the coolest person possible as a friend. He was the only kid in my kindergarten class who could read. Who could read. And not fake read. I knew how to fake read. You just say a few things, turn the page, right? That's just what your parents do. Like, say a few things, turn the page. You're like, but Gavin could read. He had cracked the code. I was totally in awe. This kid had supernatural powers. Like, and I'm just bragging about him to my mom. Since then, I've had other friends that I've uh, shared with my mom and, and just been like super proud of, kind of bragged about, like uh, a friend who's on the, the cutting edge of biochemical engineering named Ryan, who's, who's creating bacteria that eats radioactive waste. Pretty cool stuff. Don't even understand it, but he's my friend, you know. Uh, I can think of Tyler, who's in the Tampa Bay Rays organization as a catcher. I can think of my friend Adele, who won a few Grammys last week. Check this out, guys. Think about if you were to come home to your mom and tell her about your friend named Jesus. Think about it. Think about it. You come home, mom, I got a new best friend. His name is Jesus. He can turn water into wine. My mom would be like, get that kid over here for, for dinner tonight, right? Let's make it happen. Let's set it up. And you go on, right? He can, he can walk on water. He can, he can feed thousands with a little tiny Lunchable. And your mom's like looking a little skeptical by now, a little, like, uh, a little unsure. You go on. He can heal the sick. He restores sight to the blind. He befriends prostitutes. Your mom's like, oh, gosh, who is this man? <laughs> he dines with white-collar crooks. He tosses over tables in the temple. <gasps> Not the temple. He casts out demons, touches lepers. He raises the dead. Mom, he said he will give me eternal life. My mom would be like, okay, Christopher Patrick Swanson, no more hanging out with Jesus. And give me his parents' number. We're talking. This is where I think it's hard for us. God has called himself our friend. Here is a man who is holy. We almost try to keep a distance between us and him, and yet he has come down here on earth in relationship with us. He's a friend unlike any other. What I love, I love John here. I love almost all the verses we've been reading are from the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' best friends. And he's also known as John the Evangelist. He just couldn't stop telling people about his friend Jesus. He just couldn't shut up about it. He wrote not just the Gospel, but then three little letters. First, second, third John. Didn't have a lot of creativity in his subject matter. But anyways, here's one of the things. Here's one of the things that John records Jesus is saying, and it's part of really Jesus' mission statement, what Jesus was all about, what your friend, what my friend was all about. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life. 
Jesus never quoted as saying, I have come to make bad people good. Never said that. He said, I have come so that those who are dying have hope. They have life. I have come so that those who may end up dead one day will have life and have it to the full. I have come so that you don't have to wait until you're dead to have life, but right here and right now, I will give you a purpose that will bring you a vibrancy and an abundance to your life that you've never known before. And then in one of those little letters tucked away, chapter 3, verse 8, 1 John, John records this. He says, For this reason, the Son of God appeared, for the, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. If you have an activist spirit in you, if you love going on marches and protesting injustice, if you love raising your voice and shouting down the oppressors, you're going to love Jesus. This man was all about justice. This man was all about tearing that work that had been done by the enemy, destroying it. Jesus is all about life. He's all about destroying what the enemy has done. That's who your friend is. That's who my friend is. That's what he invites us into. And he does it again in a personal way. Like for a man who had been lame for 38 years, healed. Like a woman who had a bleeding condition for 12 years, healed. For a 31-year-old who needs hope and a future, direction and purpose, He's done it for me. And that's why this last fill-in here is profound. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. We love that reality so much, we were singing about it. We were dancing to it. Or at least I was. A few of us up here were dancing. You are the way. You know, just that song. It, was, it keeps going, but in like one second, you found out why I'm not on the worship team. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And that, that little tiny word, the, he didn't stutter when he used that. That was very intentional. It's the only definite article that we have in the English language. And when you use it that way, it packs a punch. In a pluralistic society, Jesus is saying, oh, I'm actually exclusive. I'm actually set apart. I am not a way. I am the way. I am not a truth. I am the truth. I'm not a life. I am the life. He's very clear in how he communicates this. Just that reality of being the way. When I hear that, I can't help but sense there's an invitation from the Spirit. Almost the voice of Christ saying, hey, I'm the way. Will you follow me? Something that he asked his disciples to do. Something he asks and invites you into. One of my favorite books to read, and I need to read it again. It's been too long. Is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And what I would love to do is just take a moment to read a paragraph out of here that I think gets to the heart of how Jesus really does kind of bring a bit of a dilemma that there's, you have to respond to this man in some way. And C.S. Lewis kind of unpacks a few of your options here. So please listen to this from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus claims to be the truth. The truth. Again, the invitation that I sense when I hear Jesus saying the truth is his voice saying, Pat, do you trust me? Will you trust me? Do you believe me? Are you willing to place your faith in me? Not just follow me, but now believe me. We said this earlier out of 1 John 3, 8. One of the reasons the Son of God came was destroy the work of the devil, the enemy. I have news for you. All brokenness, all addiction, all sin can be traced back, and its root is a lie. How do you destroy a lie but with the truth? And that enters in Jesus onto the scene, able to destroy all the work of the evil one. One of the coolest ministries we have here at Overlake that I just want to highlight briefly is the Sozo ministry. It's an opportunity. This ministry exists for this purpose. It's an opportunity to sit down with a couple people who are trained to identify, to maybe discover what are lies that you've been believing and then taking the time to replace those lies with the truth. In the truth, there's things like healing and freedom and peace. Those two are descriptors of who Jesus is our great healer, our liberator, our prince of peace. He's the way, the truth, and he's also the life, the life. The invitation there is, Pat, will you live in me? Will you live for me? Will you let me live in you? Will there be this dynamic of life experience together? One of the parts of my job an honoring, it's a, it's a great honor to be with those and to visit those in the hospital. Sometimes those who are on the brink of death, those who are preparing to breathe some of their last breaths that they'll have here on earth. And after that is one of the greatest honors possible, and it's to preside over a funeral service, to officiate a, a, a time to gather and remember a life. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be at a graveside service, to lead and officiate a graveside service for a family. And it really, it wasn't a funeral service. It truly was a celebration of life. It was an opportunity to celebrate the fact that this woman believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. She believed it so much it defined who she was. Everyone that was reminiscing about this woman we're quick to mention how she treated and cared for others, both in remarkable ways and also in just extremely ordinary ways. She couldn't help but tell others about her friend Jesus. You could see how she responded to those invitations of Christ. She followed him. She trusted him. She had her life in him. 
She believed. There's 139 times where we see the Greek word pistuo, which means believe, to believe, a verb, kind of an action-oriented word, 139 times in the whole New Testament. John, John the evangelist, one of the dear friends of Jesus, uses it 93 times. Vast majority, total word hog on it. Just, just kept using it all over his writings. His heart was that people would believe. And if you don't believe me, check this out. This is his words. John lets us know why he wrote his gospel towards the end. John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. My heart echoes that of John's. My heart is that anyone in here Anyone who hears this message, anyone who, who gets an opportunity to hear who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is, by the way, that you would believe, that you would follow him, trust him, that you would find your life in him. And so what I'm going to have us do is actually right now, if you would, please stand up with me. Because what we're about to do, I'll end us in prayer, but then... the response I'm going to offer everyone in this room, whether it's your first day believing that Jesus reveals the Son of God, or who God is, is the Son of God, if you want to believe that He is your friend, He is for you, that there is life in His name, then join with those of us who do believe that by receiving communion. Communion is something that Christ instituted, again, this evening before his death. He was sitting down with his followers in this room, and it says he took a, a loaf of bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he passed it around, asking them to, to eat this. And then he offered a cup of wine, and as he passed it around, he said, and this symbolizes my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, you don't just have to do this this one time in this room, but do this often. Remember me. Think about who I am and what I have done for you. And that's the opportunity that we have as we'll continue to worship. But first, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of who your son is. Thank you so much that your son has revealed yourself to us, that we get to see that you are loving, you are kind, that you're so inclusive of those that are on the margins, those of us who are sinners, those of us who recognize we don't have it all figured out. Thank you that, that you actually showcase that any of your judgment was actually towards those that were so stiff-necked, so pompous, so arrogant, so religious. Lord, in our hearts, usher us back into a place of just desiring relationship with you. And I pray that your spirit would be on the move even now, that hearts and lives would be prepared to follow your son, to trust, to place their faith in your son, and to find life in him. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen.